Chapter Seventeen of A Mysterious Disappearance by Louis Tracy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Carolyn. A Possible Explanation. Bruce now had several lines of inquiry open. Apart from the main and vital question as to the exact method of Lady Dyke's death and the identity of the person responsible for it, a number of important matters required attention. Why had Jane Harding quitted her situation so suddenly? Whence did she obtain the money that enabled her to blossom forth as Marie Le Marchand? Who was Sidney H. Corbett? Why did Mansmore adopt a false name, and, in any case, why adopt the name of Corbett? Why did Mrs. Hilmer exhibit such sudden terror lest her brother might be guilty? Whom did Mrs. Hilmer marry? Was her husband alive or dead? Was the man who conveyed Lady Dyke's body from Rayleigh Mansions to Putney responsible also for her death? Finally, why did he select that particular portion of the Thames banks for the bestowal of his terrible burden? Many other minor features suggested themselves for careful attention, but the barrister knew that if he elucidated some of the major questions the rest would answer themselves. The last query promised to yield a good crop of information, should it be satisfactorily dealt with. Turning to his notes, he found that the former owner of the Putney House was a tutor or preparatory schoolmaster named the Reverend Septimus Child. Could it be that this was the school in which both Sir Charles Dyke and Mensmore were fellow-students? If so, Bruce failed to see why he should not forthwith place the whole of the facts in his possession at the service of the police, and allow the law to take its course. On this supposition, the case against Mensmore was very black, not indeed incapable of explanation, for circumstantial evidence occasionally plays strange pranks with logic, but of such a grave nature that no private individual would be justified in keeping his knowledge to himself. The deduction was intensely disagreeable, but Bruce resolved to coerce his thoughts, and do that which was right, irrespective of consequences. He did not possess a clergy list. No letter came from Mrs. Hilmer, so he walked across the park to his club in Pall Mall to consult the appropriately bound black-and-white volume which gives reference to the many degrees of the Church of England. Septimus Child was a distinctive, though simple name, and it was not there. There was not a child with a final E in the whole book. Without that important letter, as his informant might be mistaken, there were several. Close scrutiny of each man's designation and duties convinced him that though any of these might be one of the particular child's children, none answered to the description of the gentleman he sought. Of course he could always apply to Sir Charles Dyke, but he dreaded approaching the grief-stricken baronet on this matter. Now there was no help for it. The barrister was beginning to feel impatient at the constant difficulties which barred progress in each direction. After all, it was a small thing merely to ask his friend if he ever knew a reverend gentleman named Child. 
Bruce was sure that Sir Charles would not be acquainted with Mr. Child, and also with the fact that the Putney House had served as his school, for it would be strange beyond credence, if it were so, that he had not mentioned it. The weather was still clear and cold, and wintry sun made walking pleasant. Claude, on quitting his club, set out again on foot. He crossed St. James's Square, German Street, and Piccadilly, and made his way to Oxford Street up New Bond Street. Not often did he frequent these fashionable thoroughfares, and he had an excellent reason. When walking, he was given to abstraction, and seldom saw his acquaintances if he encountered them in unusual quarters. He would thus cut dead a woman at whose house he had dined the previous evening, or, when he was in practice at the bar, failed to notice the salutation of his own leader. To Claude himself, this shortcoming was intolerable. Consciousness of it, when in the West, made him the most alert man in the crowd to note anybody whom he knew, except on the rare occasions when he forgot his failing. This morning Bond Street was pleasantly full. People were beginning to return to town. Parliament reassembled in a few days, and he passed many who were on his visiting list. Outside a well-known customer's, he saw a brougham, into which a lady had just been assisted by the commissionaire. It is no uncommon thing to recognize an acquaintance by the color of his horse, or the peculiar cut of the coachman's whiskers. This time Bruce knew the driver as well as the equipage, but the lady was not Mrs. Hilmer. Instantly he was at the door, with his hat lifted. He assumed an expression of polite regret as he saw Dobson, the maid, in her mistress's place. "'Sorry,' he said. "'I knew the carriage and thought that Mrs. Hilmer was inside. She is well, I trust?' "'Not very, sir,' answered the maid with an angry pout. "'Indeed, what is the matter?' "'Madame is going away, and has put us all on board wages.' Dobson had some of the privileges of a companion, and resented this relegation to the servants' hall. "'Going away!' cried Bruce. "'A sudden departure, eh?' The girl was arranging some parcels on the seat in front of her. She was not disinclined for a conversation with this good-looking gentleman, so she smiled archly, as she said, "'Didn't you know, sir? I thought you would know all about it.' What he might have ascertained by a longer chat, the barrister could not tell, for an interruption occurred. The coachman was more loyal to his mistress than the maid. "'Beg pardon, sir,' he cried, "'but the missus told us to hurry,' and he whipped his steed into the passing stream of carriages. "'More complications,' murmured Claude. "'Mrs. Hilmer contemplates a bolt. Shall I pay her another visit and surprise her?' No, confound it, I will not. Let her go, and let things take their course. Not in the most amiable frame of mind at this discovery, he pursued his walk into Portman Square. Sir Charles Dyke was at home. He always was now. For goodness' sake, Mr. Bruce, whispered Thompson in the hall, try to persuade Sir Charles to quit smoking and reading and thinking. He sits all day in the library and hardly has anything to eat. Claude reproached himself for having neglected his resolution to stir his friend into something like animation. 
he was wondering what he should do in the matter when the baronet rose at his entrance saying with a weary smile well old fellow what news the other suddenly decided to throw all questioning to the winds for the moment i have come to bring you out i won't hear of a refusal let us walk to the club and have lunch and a game of billiards sir charles protested he had slept very badly and was tired all the more reason that you should sleep well to-night come now be advised you will allow yourself to become a hopeless invalid if you go on this way dyke unwillingly consented and they left the house the older man brightened up considerably amidst the bustle of the streets his colour returned he talked with some degree of cheerfulness and even laughed as he said i never understood you were a doctor claude in addition to your other varied acquirements for the first time since since november last i feel hungry why don't you take my advice and go away for some shooting it is not too late even now to go after a hare i will think of it i wonder who we shall meet at the club lots of fellows no doubt and by the way you must be prepared for one little difficulty suppose they ask about your wife the baronet's momentary gaiety vanished he stopped short and clutched bruce's arm don't you see he almost moaned that this is the reason i have remained indoors for so long what shall i say you must make the best of it say off-handedly you don't know where she is either with relations or in italy anything will do and it will create a false impression i am sick of false impressions i cannot do it you must the stronger will prevailed and they entered the doors of the imperial where of course dyke was hailed at once by a dozen men hello charlie been seedy good gracious dyke have you had influenza i've missed you for months now i come to think of it i haven't seen your wife for quite a time how is she in the multitude of questions there was safety sir charles answered vaguely and a chance arrival created a diversion by announcing that the favourite had broken down in his preparation for the grand national later in the afternoon the two found themselves ensconced in a quiet corner of the smoking-room bruce seized the opportunity you told me he said that mensmore and you were at school together did i said the baronet yes don't you remember i get mixed up in thinking about things but it is all right we were whereabouts oh a private establishment kept by an old chap called septimus child lucky number was our nickname for him bruce betrayed no surprise at this startlingly simple statement he said casually i mean where was the school situated at brighton in my time but afterwards he shifted to some place near london something to do with examinations i fancy don't you know where how should i i was at centres then i believe the old boy is dead why do you ask oh it has something to do with the inquiry 
I won't trouble you now with the details. Go on, I can't stand it. But where is the good in paining you needlessly? That stage has passed, old chap. My wife's memory has almost become a dream to me. Well, it is an extraordinary thing, but that place where... Uh, that house at Putney, you know, must have been the new school of the Reverend Septimus Child. How did you learn that? I have known it for months, ever since the inquest. And you did not tell me. True, but at the time it seemed of no consequence. Now that Mensmore turns out to be a pupil of his, and probably passed the remainder of his early school days at that very establishment, the incident assumes a degree of importance. Sir Charles looked earnestly at his friend as he put his next question. Tell me, Claude, do you seriously believe that Mensmore had anything to do with my wife's death? I cannot honestly give you a satisfactory answer. But what do you think? If you press me, I will try to put my opinion into words. Mensmore was in some mysterious way associated with the crime, but the degree of association, and whether conscious or unconscious, I do not know. What do you mean by conscious or unconscious? I am sure that Lady Dyke met her death in his residence, but it is impossible to say now if he was aware of her presence. He was in London at the time, that is quite certain. Do the police know all of this? No. I am glad of it. Mensmore did not kill my wife. The suggestion is absurd, wildly absurd. Things look black against him, nevertheless. I tell you it is nonsense. You are on the wrong track, Bruce. What possible reason could he have to decoy my wife into his flat and there murder her? None, perhaps. Then why do you hesitate to agree with me? Because there is a woman in the case. Another woman? Yes, Mensmore's sister, or half-sister to be exact. She also lives in Rayleigh Mansions. Indeed. So all kinds of things have been going on without my knowledge. Yet you promised faithfully to keep me informed of every incident that transpired. I am sorry, Dyke, but you were so upset. Upset, man? Don't you realize that this affair is all I have to think about in the world? The baronet was so disturbed that Claude at once made up his mind to tell him as little as possible in the future. These constant possibilities of rupture between them must be avoided at all hazard. To change the conversation, he said, Never mind. This time you must pardon my inadvertence. How do your wife's people bear the continued mystery of her disappearance? At first they were awfully caught up, but lately they have been reconciled to her death, which they say must have resulted from accident, and that her identity must have been mixed up with that of some other person. Such things do happen, you know. Anyway, her sister has gone into mourning for her. You didn't hear, I suppose, that I have made my little nephew my hair? Was that step necessary at your time of life? I shall never marry again, Bruce. Well, let us drop the subject. 
you have done right as regards the boy under present circumstances but as a man of the world i only point out that it is an unwise thing to bring up a youngster in expectation of something which chance might determine differently chance there is no chance my wife cannot return from the grave true you have done right no doubt but the suddenness of the thing caused me to speak unwittingly they were silent for a little while when sir charles returned to the subject nearest his heart has your search developed in other directions bruce fenced with the query to be candid he said i am now most busily engaged in the not very difficult task of throwing dust into the eyes of the police my motives are hardly definite to myself but i don't want this unfortunate man mensmore to be arrested until i have personally become convinced of his guilt you are right your instinct seldom fails you i question if he ever to his own knowledge saw my wife ah you see you have hit upon the difficulty show me her reason for making that secret journey and i will tell you how she met her death his concluding words sank to a murmur an old friend of dyke's had entered the room and came toward them a few minutes later bruce quitted the imperial and drove to his chambers where he found a note from the ticket collector stating that foxey's name was william marsh the day was still young and the barrister paid a visit to the west london police court where the record soon revealed the conviction of the cab-driver and the period of his sentence let me see said the resident inspector his time at holloway is up on february sixth that is a monday and as sunday doesn't count he will be liberated on the fourth about eight a m that is the habit sir in the matter of short sentences if you want to see him when he leaves the jail you can either wait at the gates or at the nearest public-house where the prisoners go for their first drink they seldom or never miss bruce thanked the official and returned home he was on the point of going out to drive when he received a letter from sir charles dyke it ran my dear claude Today's experiences have taught me to take the inevitable step of announcing my wife's death. Hence, I have forwarded the enclosed notice to an advertisement agency, with instructions to insert it in the principal papers. I have also decided to follow your advice and leave town for a few days. I am going to Winsley, my place in Yorkshire, should you happen to want me. Yours, Charles Dyke the notice read dyke on november sixth alice wife of sir charles dyke barred suddenly at london next morning it figured in the obituary columns of many newspapers bruce though taken back by the suddenness of his friend's resolve saw no reason to endeavour to dissuade him in the words of the letter it was the inevitable step End of chapter 17